0: Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
1: Welcome to Girl in the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a rebrand.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know we're back for another episode. And I have been dying to spill this new thing for the last. It's probably probably not new for like anyone else but me, Mm -hmm. who just just hasn't been in a Trader Joe's in way too long. But, literally, have you tried? And I can't, oh wait, you know I'm I'm like like getting getting all amped here. This is a word I can't pronounce, so LOL to me. Cacio, Cacio e Pepe. Oh my God, I got it, I got it. The puffs. Have you had the
1: puffs? No. What, like their oh, yeah. sour cream and onion ones that are like, but they they're have like, f- that flavor?
2: I don't know if I've had those because that's like, I don't, I'm like weird with sour cream. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a sour cream fan. But they're like fan. those like I know, just it's puffy just
1: like weird snacks. They make yeah. pepe flavor.
2: And they are so fucking good. And they're delicious. organic. So we love add it. that to the list. I literally am addicted. It's fine. I have been dying to tell everyone about this in the last 24 hours, and basically have counted down the moments Trader to, Joe's to now.
1: Interesting. Okay, I need to go to Trader Joe's anyways and get some fresh grocery, grocery, groceries. Groceries? <laughs> groceries. Groceries. Um, some fresh You know what that just groceries. sounded like? Groceries? Now no. I don't know how I say groceries. That's how I say it. Wait.
2: Groceries. Is that... One of those ones that has like a regional difference, like water. Yeah,
1: I yeah, I think some people say groceries, some people say groceries. I say groceries.
2: I, huh. Okay, now I'm gonna be on. I was gonna say the lookout, but I can't really look for a sound. But I'm gonna be on the the ears out. That's not a thing yeah. either. What is?
1: But what, what I was, what I don't the know. Fuck is that? I don't know. But what I was trying to say is that I'm trying to get my life together this week because I just had a three day bender and I haven't done this in a while and I just. As you can probably hear, like I'm unwell, <laughs> and I feel like I'm like not on this planet. I like Someone I get this way. girl liquid IV. I know I felt that way yesterday, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna get a good night's sleep, and wake up, and I'm gonna ready, ready to take on the week. And I just still, am so out of it, I'm like groggy, you know. Mm. Like I feel mm-hmm. fine, but I'm just it's like groggy. The, it's just I don't know, I'm what, trying 26 to push it is all out of my you. system. But yeah, big detox week but you know another big week politically because yeah you know
2: I have had I know we always make this joke specifically when we're on pitch calls I swear to God it's become my new gerrymandering yeah throwdown but of us having jobs until we're five gazillion years old because there is never a dull moment or issue not to cover in politics never and I I say that like Bible for sure every time that comes up but I just felt that more and more and more as the news stories roll in. There's never a quiet day in politics anymore. Like I feel like there's and know what like really framed that for me a little bit was You know, like obviously the concept of like a lame duck session, which is Mm -hmm. like what Congress will apparently head into in the fall. But like also, guys, get your shit together and do something. Thanks. Like, don't be lame ducks. Great.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, it's like, you know, their sessions can be on pause, but the news never is. And especially if when they're in session, nothing's really happening, then when they go on recess and then the news that we want them to address and fix keeps happening, aka mass shootings you know you're like how are you possibly on recess right now it's crazy
2: but no and I I do love at the state level I mean this happens federally too but especially at the state level special sessions or extraordinary sessions apparently is like another term for it yep Which is so funny to me because it's like extraordinary session. Like now every time I see a Politico being like, we just had this from the extraordinary session. And I'm like, like (laughs) L-O-L, so dramatic. I feel like that's a phrase that a grandpa uses to describe an ice cream flavor. (laughs) The strawberry ice cream was
1: extraordinary. Like that is how I hear that in my head. Who are electeds? Our grandfathers?
2: Right, 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 right. (laughs) Yep.
1: That that check. No grandpa. But no, it was Fourth of July weekend and to me there's just nothing more embarrassing than celebrating fourth of July. <laughs> I felt this way. I, I felt this way for could years. Not agree more. I'm like, I you'll yeah. never catch me wearing an American flag T shirt, not posting an American flag. Look. It was my friend's birthday this weekend, that's why I had a bender. I was like, What's what's the fourth of July? <laughs> what is that? Yeah.
2: I one agreed agreed and agreed and agreed some more and my point to am I doing numbers or letters I already forgot because that's how bad my ADHD is today but I will say like the only reason I feel like I ever do things for it or have traditionally is like not like a celebration of the 4th of July of just being oh it's a summer day off like it's like yeah I posted okay cool we can all get together in this summer and Mm -hmm. we're all happen to be off and obviously that doesn't include every element of the workforce but just like commonly yeah. has been like a time that friends can actually get together and have common time off yeah but like the actuality of totally. celebrating america no it was Excuse a great weekend me. of just summer vibes It's kind weird. of like a creepy concept in general like i felt like this way for a long time with like a lot of federal type holidays where it's like what it, it just feels like kind of nationalist and weird
1: no it's like, I, it's again just like stupid it's stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. But so no, stupid. it's just the summer vibes are immaculate. I was like on a lake barbecuing and I had sparklers and like, that's what I love. But it wasn't me celebrating the birthday no. of this country. So yeah, I mean, it's similar to, like Thanksgiving, you know, where it's like, I'm not celebrating like the pilgrims, you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I like to eat with my family once a year and eat that specific food. And it's just what's become. But <laughs> I ha- I did see many stories of white men on my Instagram chanting USA. It's Whoa. just that type of stuff is where I'm like, you're an, you're an embarrassment. And I did also um, get mansplained facts. to me once or twice this weekend that, like, I still should be really, you know, grateful for what this country gives me and the freedoms right, that we right. have. It's yeah. just, I, yeah, I got mansplained to a few times and I was like. <sighs> don't talk to me. Oh,
2: that sounds like brutally painful mm-hmm. and our 4th of July never regret. going in the right direction. Yeah. But, anyways, we hope that this particular <laughs> episode takes us in the right direction because, because our conversation absolutely gives, like, uh, was, is it the P's and the Q's? The I T's and the I's.
1: I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> any, any of those things mean. <laughs>
2: Okay, the 411, because I do know what 411 means. We're going to stick with 411 these days. So anyways, gives the four on the inner workings of campaigns. We talk about getting involved with campaigns you're interested in to, like, literally until the Careers. cows come home. We love, we love a political career moment. But we have realized that we have forgotten a few things in those conversations, a.k.a. giving the explainers, as to what the roles on campaigns are what they actually do how to get into them and so we brought on someone super special super amazing super genius in this space to walk us through it all and just literally again another episode an interview where we could have spoken for hours and i would have been very happy human nonetheless there will be a part two at a later date so stay tuned but this particular episode is with our friend a fran? A fran? I? Am I okay? <laughs> a fran? Yee-ho. Can you imagine me in a cowboy hat?
1: I was in a cowboy hat all weekend. See, you pull my that off. I, you know my alter
2: ego. You know my thoughts on hats
1: on a me. Liberal cowgirl. <laughs>
2: liberal cowgirl. Circling <laughs> yeah, can we... out of our cowgirl brainstorm, mm-hmm. we will get to this guest. Drisana Hughes, political strategist, campaign genius. Genius. <laughs> genius 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 she knows how to make shit happen we obviously had to speak with her on all things campaign what all the roles are doing like we said so we'll get into it without further ado here's Josana. first things first, first like the of show like, how do you get, get into politics? politics like where does this really begin before we of course get into all the questions of what does a campaign strategist do you know what's the day-to-day all of that how do you get here in the first place
3: yeah so i think i've always been interested in politics like i ran for student government when i was eight you know like wow I've always had that bug but didn't really know professionally what that looked like for a really long time so i hope for people listening to this who have a little bit of interest it should be helpful to know that like even i as a very very interested four-year-old like this was a long <laughs> time coming yeah industry isn't as easy to right figure out where you're going as others But the first time I volunteered was for Obama's campaign when I was 12 years old. And then I volunteered a lot in college. And then I'd say the first time I got paid for political work, I was about 24 years old working in a nonprofit. And the first time I got paid to do a campaign was Joe Biden's campaign
1: in 2020. Wow, Wow. It's so funny, like we talk about this all the time and both have experience with just, like you said, it's really so hard to get your foot in the door in the political space if you want to work here. And like the fact that you've been volunteering since you're literally like an infant and you still like didn't get paid till you're 24. Like that's just crazy. But I'm sure we'll like dive into that more. We won't, we won't start the tangents quite yet. <laughs> Tame <Taming laughs> the kinda, tangents. Yeah, taming the tangents for now, tabling. But We want to get into too, like what a day in the life looks like on a campaign and like what that typically looks like. It's a different every day. Can you kind of walk us through like the craziness of... A campaign life
3: yeah so I mean goes without saying every day is different but the way I would divide it for someone looking in is proximity to election day is definitely mm-hmm. how I would divide your experience totally. from the people who are like the first time a candidate raises their hand and is like okay you know I think I'm gonna do this I'm gonna run for office those days are very different from when you finally have hired a full team those days are very different from you know, two to three months out. And those days are very different from GOTV, which is like the last two to three weeks before election day. And so proximity to the day is totally. what you're doing, whether you're doing more strategy and planning in the beginning and then at the end, just like rapid response, intense response, execution. Those things vary by how pro- close you are to election day.
1: Yeah, totally. For when I sense. worked on the presidential campaign in the primaries in 2020, when i first started it was like pretty early on and so literally like i would roll in at like 10. i would you know maybe leave around like three it was great i was like this is the life I like
3: maybe and maybe. then
1: two months before election day literally was working seven days a week 9 a.m to 9 p.m just like crazy 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 so i totally feel that
2: <laughs> a whirlwind also very much side note but for some reason TV and igtv <laughs> Those two things switch in my head all the time. And literally the amount of people that I have said, oh, my God, it's IGTV time, too. Like bad. Santa? Like, really bad. And then switch it. Like, I know I'm a little dyslexic, but, like, <laughs> phrases, the I fact know. that it's gone to phrases, it's, like, really ridiculous, but it's a well, classic mix-up for me.
3: And, like, not to go on a brief, a little engine on that, but, like, something people talk about, I see on Twitter all the time, is all of the acronyms used in this space and how it's such a barrier to entry... For someone coming in yeah. who doesn't know what PT, P2P, P G O T V E V E yeah. A, and it like makes it very very hard. Like when I first started working and learning the systems, it was like a whole. It was almost like learning a programming language or something completely totally. Different. And so you can be politically engaged and active and be feel so unable to enter the space because yeah. of that. But like it's no. A joke. That's such
1: an yeah, it's such an interesting point too because I feel like even like when I hear my friends talk about their work or like, you know, my roommate, she's like in the corporate world, tech space, and like when I'm with her coworkers and friends and they're talking about work and they have all their acronyms, I'm like obviously I'm not gonna understand those, but the fact that like politics is like public facing space like everyone needs to understand. And that's so true, like the acronyms, how like those still aren't translated even though everyone does need to know what they mean. It's not like some corporate jargon that like you don't ever deal with. So yeah. The barriers to entry are endless. We can probably, that's a tangent for days and days. Literally,
2: literally, I see the merch item that we were designing that had an acronym on it. That is getting next immediately. (laughs) This is a great editing process. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Just a little focus group. None less. We do want to talk about the many roles within the campaign space. And one of them is deputy campaign manager. It's one we see a lot when we're reaching out to campaigns and trying to figure out, okay, who do we want to contact to, you know, talk about a campaign, get someone on the show, all of that stuff, but like, what does that role specifically entail? What's they do they have a different day-to-day than a regular campaign manager? Like, where does that
3: differ? Yeah. Yeah, so I was a deputy campaign manager before I was a campaign manager, and I was really, I'm really happy I went in that order for a lot of reasons. The campaign manager is definitely responsible for the direction and management of the campaign as a whole. And then as a deputy campaign manager, you know, you're supporting that person. So in that first role, I wasn't making the big decisions about how to steer the ship. But once those decisions were made, I was very integral, sometimes completely in charge myself of executing it. So I learned a lot about how you manage a campaign, how you actually, how your decisions trickle down to the staff without having the pressure of being the person who was doing it all first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really, really great experience. And then when it when it did come time for me to be a campaign manager and have to make those decisions myself, it wasn't so daunting. It wasn't so scary. I wouldn't say that's everyone's experience. A lot of people jump right into campaign management immediately and they do really well. But I'm definitely happy that I was able to just do the execution and operations first before I was responsible for like real strategy and management. Mm-hmm.
2: Totally, Totally. because then you're literally on the ground seeing if something works or not. Mm -hmm. But also you don't get like stuck in the crossfire if it doesn't. and i think it can sometimes be at the top like a very and this is not just in politics but a very lonely place because you are making these decisions at rapid fire you're praying even if you are the best expert in whatever you're doing that they work and that you know it doesn't come back to bite you in the ass and let me tell you i have many an experience in something (laughs) coming back to bite me in the ass and getting yelled at by god knows how many people so like (laughs) it's like you want to make those decisions and you become very you know i feel like in any spot strategic as to knowing what's going to work or what's worth the risk and what's not because you become risk managers in a certain sense but like it's still really scary i don't feel like people talk about that enough i really don't
3: risk management you're right is an absolutely i'd say top five part of the job that you're doing and i also think that you can be a really really great campaign manager but if you don't get along with your candidate it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day you're asking that person to get on TV, to work a little longer, to knock a little more doors, to raise a little more money. And you guys really have to have a tight relationship because, you know, this is probably going to be the biggest suck on this person's life for that, whatever, eight months you're working together. And so the relationship you have with the person is also critical.
1: Yeah. That's such an interesting angle. Yeah. I was going to say, can you kind of highlight that candidate to campaign manager dynamic and relationship and like You know, who really wears the pants? Who's making the decisions? You know, who is really like the CEO of the campaign? Is it the candidate? Is it the campaign manager? Like how do those relationships typically play out?
3: Yeah, so it's definitely a case by case basis on the race and the candidate. Like I had a very good experience. India is one of my best friends still to this day. We had very good rapport with each other. And so she really trusted me to make really big decisions. And she gave me a lot of agency and power and autonomy. And that I really, really appreciate. It's really hard to trust someone with your name and your likeness and your career. And so I, 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 we had a very good rapport and respect. And then sometimes when India, you know, who is a single mother of four and was out of work while she was running for office is like, Drusana, like, I can't do this today. I would step up and and I would do it or someone else would do it. it, it what we, didn't, we were not adversarial, yeah. um, but that's not always true. And, and sometimes the best campaign managers push you till you win and you don't wanna be their friend anymore. Um, yeah. One, and that was their job. So everyone has their own style about going about it. I'm very interested in developing a co co-leadership model with the candidate, a good relationship with the candidate. I want this to transcend. I want this to transcend the campaign as someone who's now a campaign strategist. You know, I want these relationships to stay with me forever. If mm-hmm. if India needs someone in the future, I will, you know, she'll call me back, be she had a good experience. So I care more than just the campaign, but yeah. at the end of the day, we're there to win. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. Super interesting. That is. It's kind of like a coach, you know? And like,
2: I feel like over the years I've had coaches I've hated, like one that thought I was someone else. Very rude, still bitter about it. How many years later? <laughs> it's fine. There could be more than one blonde, Jesus Christ. Anyways, and then others were like, oh my gosh, you're an inspiration. Like, yes, that sucked that you made me do this, these extra sprints, but it was worth it. And I respect that. So I feel like that gives like a little bit of a comparison for any of our sports girlies that are listening. I feel like that's really similar.
3: Yeah, I yeah. think sports comparison is very true. Like I, I, I really do because you you talk to people on like the winning Chicago Bulls, right? And they're like, Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson got along with each other. But like some of the people, no one wants to talk to Michael Jordan, they hate Michael Jordan, but they won six rings. So it's like, it's fine. But yeah. there was a lot of drama and yeah.
1: bad blood. It's like Tom and, Brady.
3: Uh, yep, yep. And it's like, so, you know, those, those it takes a specific person to want to jump into that.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think too, like, some of these really big campaigns with the name recognition of like the Bernie Sanders of the world when they do have a campaign and like get their campaign manager I feel like it's like a circulating just roster of campaign managers who have the experience and the wins and it's just like you're just picking you're not picking them for like that relationship or maybe even friendship that like you value in the work you do yep. but like I feel like when you do get like much higher into these really big name politicians it's like more about like who's won the most campaigns. Like look at like the Trump campaign or the Trump administration and just the people that were around him and like the stories that have come out since of like how they all just like were not on the same page and just yeah. like all yeah. of that. It's...
3: And it and it, it comes down to what brings you to this work. Like yeah, I've exactly. loved every single person I've worked with. I really truly have. And there have been pain points, but like I will not work for you. Like that's my line. I, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of winning. That would make me day in and day out, hours and hours and hours with someone that I. Totally. Yeah. I
1: can't but, uh, believe people cool. do that. But <laughs> tangible aside, moving to to just really quick, like you have this also like volunteer experience on your resume that like really brought you into this work. Can you kind of give our listeners too that are interested in working in campaigns or volunteering really what type of training they can expect to get by volunteering and like what opportunities can arise from that? And if you have any advice for, you know, taking that like volunteer first route to get your foot in the door.
3: Yeah. I love volunteering. I still volunteer no matter how much I get paid, no matter how high up I go, I will always knock a door or make a phone call. I feel very, very passionately about that. I think that it really grounds you and it gives you all these other skills that I didn't realize I was good at getting. When you have to talk to strangers at a young age, that helps you when you go into an interview in college, that helps you when you're debating, you know, anyone wants to go into that. It just makes you an impressive speaker and it helps you develop some of those skill sets. So I do think talking and engaging with strangers really is a good activity that we should do regularly to keep us sharp Mm -hmm. on our general functioning in the world. I do think Where you volunteer is really important. I'm no stranger to a ton of horror stories and bad experience. So here's what I will say. If you're volunteering for the first time, it's definitely cool to talk to someone on the phone first before you go. Whether that's a field director or a volunteer coordinator, someone should be able to pick up the phone, talk to you, introduce themselves, and let you know like what's gonna go down. I've heard horror story people showing up to street corners, no one's there. People showing up to stuff, you're alone. They just send you an app and they tell you to, to do this activity with no materials, with no support, you should never not be supported in this activity. But even though it's a little scary to take your first leap, you should really ask professionals, ask that other people, lean on other people around you. That will help make sure your first experience is a good one. And I think a lot of people don't do that. They just show up and they're like, uh, uh, so yeah like call the coordinator first ask what's gonna go down for anything that you're interested in signing up for yeah that
2: makes a lot advice. of sense what do you advise for anyone that like say it's their first time knocking doors and they feel like they walked away from a few conversations they're kind of like oh fuck like what did i say that was just so awkward oh my god i messed up like anything that would make them feel like like what what are the takeaways directions from like that sort yeah. of situation
3: yeah, well, first I just want to name, like the experience isn't the same for everyone based on some of our like boring characteristics. Like I am a single woman of color when I go to knock doors late at night, like that's scary, that's weird. I've been followed before. So like those kinds of things you should take very seriously with yourself. And if you're uncomfortable one day, you want to go home early or you don't want to volunteer one day, like that's okay. But things that we shouldn't get discouraged by, which are like bad conversations, awkward conversations, People who tell you to, you know, get out of, get off my lawn, that kind of thing. The one thing that I will say that will help you push past that is to literally just keep going because you're going to have a good conversation one day and it's really going to, it's going to remind you why you're doing this. I was volunteering a few days ago for a criminal, ju- a big criminal justice reform candidate and someone approached me like, you know, does this person want to deep on the police? I'm very scared. Like, I don't want to vote for them. And we talked for 45 minutes. about really real just like real stuff like down to grass tax and i was like yo that felt like taking a clean shower and drinking some sulfur water and it felt like really really good to to talk to someone about their issues and they ended up going in and voting for my candidate even though they were like a little scared yeah so those there's only for every bad experience you have you'll have a good one too and so just not counting yourself out the first time something bad happens and, and just trying to push past it.
1: Yeah, I would also say too, especially like when it comes to phone banking, when you're like on a phone bank and like there's hundreds of calls that like coming in and out and you're just going so fast, like we would always tell our volunteers too, like they would be so discouraged because they're like, I just got like 10 Trump voters in a row, like what, what the hell? And it's like, no, like the other thing that's really important to note is that the data is so helpful for campaigns and like, to be able to identify voters in a certain way, really helps the campaign narrow down their search narrow down like their efforts and like just that data alone does so much and so again sometimes it's not even about like you're you convincing somebody to vote a certain way it's sometimes just about you know doing that work and getting the data that the campaign needs to like you Mm -hmm. know narrow in their their strategy and and such so that's kind of what we would always push through too but also love the you know sentiment about how it is such a good life skill and like we always talk to like say to our followers too you know some people everyone has like their different ways in which they want to get involved politically be it protesting or phone banking or maybe they don't want a phone bank and they want to you know email or you know there's everyone has their own lane but it really is true like phone banking it kind of you just got to rip the band-aid off and like just have those conversations because I think that's such a good point that, like it's just really also a really great life skill as like sometimes like weird and like awkward as it can be like it's it is going to be helpful regardless. But anyways, moving forward to I have a stupid question segment, we want to get into some other roles in the political space that you specifically to have some experience in, we want to ask what the difference between a campaign strategist and a political consultant is.
3: It's a really good question. And honestly, like, the the simple answer is like, people call themselves what they call themselves. And then (laughs) (laughs) like, it will vary. But I'll say like the technical as I feel The technical difference, political consultants, that covers a wide variety. They could be a field consultant. They could be a communications consultant. They could be your fundraising consultant. They could do all three. They could be your strategy consultant. Like they could literally coordinate volunteers, but they're calling themselves a political consultant. So that is really wide, wide category. You have to drill down on what that person's good at. Campaign strategists are helping you with the strategy related to your campaign. So they can do some of those things, but I would say that person is trying to signal with their title that they can help you make some big decisions about the direction of your campaign, who you're gonna hire, what policy stances you're gonna take if you haven't figured it out yet, how much money you're gonna pour into this or that. And so consultants can do that too, but strategists like in the title is saying, I wanna help you with the big problems that you're gonna have in your campaign and maybe not the smaller stuff. But consultants can help you with the big, the small, the up, the down, the right, the left. Yeah. And I found both of them. I found people go by both of those names or one of those names, some campaigns hire both. So yeah varied. Yeah. It is so
2: funny, like There are so many titles that feel like they're like pretty similar, like in any industry. And I always get like so confused on LinkedIn where I'll be like, I, okay, like, what does that mean? Like, is an account manager the same thing as an account director somewhere else or like whatever the position (laughs) is. Right. I'm like, someone, someone tell me, like, I don't, I don't know how we figure it out and like put it like a little bit clearer for everyone, but. That was very helpful in terms of figuring out these two. Those are going to be two definitions on our list that we go by. So thank you for that. I also want to touch on one of the terms within the campaign field that we hear a lot, but a lot of people are sort of like, what is it? And that is, what
3: is canvassing? Very good question. I also didn't know what it was for an extremely long time. And so there's lots of different like canvassing you can do, right? Like door-to-door canvassing, relational canvassing. At the end of the day, it means you're going through a group with a particular okay. message, If you're doing that, like th- that's that's how I would operate it because you can canvas for campaigns, but you can canvas for issues. You can canvas on behalf of, you can survey people, but you're going through a group with a goal. So with a campaign, I'm canvassing, I'm going through a group, usually a neighborhood, door to door to let them know there's an election coming up and to get them to vote for my person. If I'm doing a relational canvas, the fancy way that we call basically going to your friends or your address book in your phone and telling your friends to to do something, to donate, to vote, to join your whenever, et cetera. I would consider phone banks canvases via phone. I would consider text banks canvases via text. I would consider anything where you're reaching out to a group of people with a particular goal in mind, a canvas. Mm-hmm.
2: Got, got it. it. Okay, So got it, got not it. something we paint on, noted, noted, <laughs> noted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All those details. OK, one more role under this category that we're like, hmm, I think we know what it means. But, you know, love a little clarity moment. What does a campaign scheduler do?
3: I think it's the hardest job on a campaign. I've been like a de facto scheduler. Like, even when I have the most fanciest title in the world, like campaign strategist, consultant, political, da 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 Like I am the, a scheduler. And I think it's the most important because it's where, at the end of the day, it's where you're devoting your time. Mm-hmm with your candidate so the, the the campaign scheduler in the most simplest of sense is scheduling the candidates day to day but the reason it's so hectic it's like how i would imagine it like it's it's very funny it's a completely different industry but it kind of gives me like anne hathaway and devil wears prada vibes yeah. like, get the harry potter manuscript before it comes out like that kind of yeah. stuff you have to do constantly like find me a church to talk at tomorrow with a congregation of 200 people that are all voters. Okay. Yeah. Like, like find me a block party for the, for the 4th of July right. that I can go to. Find me this, find me that, do it quickly, do it tomorrow. And you know, don't piss off the other people, but don't piss off your candidate. It's like very, yeah. very multifaceted ever changing role. I think, Anyone who gets an opportunity to do it young, as a way to put your foot in the door, it's an incredible experience. You get access to almost every part of the campaign and everyone, mm-hmm. but you like you don't sleep, you don't. Yeah.
1: It's just like yeah. those things. Totally. Okay, no, so we insomniacs, are here you go. Yeah, we are like, talking this, is a this job the other insomniacs. day. Just campaign schedulers, even like even beyond like when you know a candidate gets into office and like the scheduler is there too like they really do have so much power in deciding you know where a candidate or an elected is spending their time and I've you know had friends who worked on that on the campaign and it's like they yeah like don't sleep first of all but you also are also the other kind of like amazing experience you get is that you get to be like really close to the candidate and spend time with them like you know have that connection as well and you know hopefully that comes to fruition and gets you more you know experience as well. But no, we were talking about this the other day, I was schedulers like have a lot of power too. got to get in the door with the schedulers.
3: want to pick them off. Because yeah. it doesn't matter how like, and, and I, I remember everyone who's treated me poorly. In, in that role of like, Oh, you're unimportant. You know, you're not India Walton, you're not Alvin Bragg. You're not Scott Stringer, I could treat you a certain way. Yeah. And that's a mistake. Right. Because all of those people cared about how I was treated, and it will affect how they move around you, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it tells so much about you as a candidate, as an elected official, as a public official, how you treat the lowest person
1: on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, it's like not, it's like an executive assistant, but not, it's like beyond that, and- it has like way more power than like that type of role would in any other industry, which is really just an interesting part of the campaign world.
2: Okay. So we want to talk about campaigns overall, like disconnect between so many of them. It feels like there's these federal campaigns that get so much money, so much attention. Everyone's eyes are on, like, I feel like Amy McGrath is always the example that comes to my head of like, oh my God, we've got to have Amy win. And don't get me wrong, want her to win for sure. But like that was so disconnected from then the state races, and everything else. And it seems like money put in the wrong place and all that. And I just, I'm so curious to know, like from your perspective, why there's such a disconnect between all eyes on federal and then state and local races that are so, in my eyes, so much more important.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. It's something we as a country are gonna have to come to grips with super soon in 2022. And then really in 2024, I think national coordination is incredibly important, especially as we look at what's happening with the Supreme Court. Federal elections, midterm elections are very important, no doubt about it. They need a lot more money, no doubt about it. You got, you have to run commercials statewide, that's incredibly expensive. And so I, I do understand why there's a focus on those. I also, my first really, really real political job was on a presidential, and I think that has patterned the seriousness with which I approach my state and local jobs. Yeah so i do think they're important and i don't want to downplay that at all however one of the reasons that they flounder or not seemingly in a very confusing way so the amy situation right no one had no one had more money than her and i I think it's a great one to raise but why they seemingly it's like what's going on here is because they can get very quickly disconnected from the constituents that they're supposed to represent because you have to scale so quickly, presidential and state races, you'll hire people from out of state. Yeah. What happens is you'll have organizers in Kentucky, you know, talking to people about issues in Kentucky and they're from New Jersey Mm. and it's very clear. And that's why they lose sometimes. That's not the only reason, but you get connected very quickly. Local and state, you don't have that much money. The people who you can hire are probably from where you are running your campaign. They're probably way more connected to the community. And that way those battles can be a little more egalitarian. It can be a little more like who out hustles the other person because you're fighting with some of the same resources. Now you can still be outspent, which we've just seen literally a few days ago with the assembly races in New York. But I think national, they have to, it's like a startup. That's how I, ex- I explained it to my father, who's like, mm-hmm. "It was nothing about politics, but it's in finance." It's like if you were starting a company overnight and you needed a mm-hmm. hundred employees tomorrow, would they all be like the perfect employees from the city you want to be able to do it? No. Like you take yeah. people from away. Yeah. So, it you end up staffing things differently, and I think the effectiveness of them is different as a result. I totally. love that analogy. I also just feel like business
2: analogies are ones that people really relate to and really like it's the way they can like grasp things so I think that's an important one people should take and like reiterate when thinking about politics I also am curious from like a voter perspective voter meets canvassing meets campaigns all of that in conversations that you've had with people no matter which campaign it's been on well let's next the Obama one in this one lo- state local etc what has been like the feedback like have you heard anyone be like oh I didn't know that like this position existed or, oh my gosh, I didn't know that we had local elections or like anything like that, that's sort of like telling in some way.
3: Yeah, and I like, I, people don't like to admit this, but like I'll admit it that I was part of that group for a very long time. I didn't, I didn't vote in my local elections. I didn't know they were happening. I would see posters everywhere. And I'm talking like 18 to 23, like I would see posters everywhere. I would see that it was going on, but I didn't really know what it was. And I didn't really like, definitely didn't think it was important enough to like drop, what yeah. I was doing research who my town supervisor is or whatever. Right. And we had a lot of that feedback. I mean, we had record low turnout this, this past Tuesday in New York state, cause people are tired and they don't know what assembly means. And yeah. I I've heard people say that to me. So I, I think that that's very common. I don't think there should be judgment around that. I think we no. should meet that where they are, try to understand why People, I can't tell you how many times I heard on Tuesday, they're all the same. They're all the same. I'm out here screaming for my one candidate who I feel like is not the same Mm -hmm. and being told they're all the same. And it's like very, very sad conversation to have. And so we need to do a better job of putting people into office who are not the same. So you kind of pay attention to Donald Trump for better, for worse, did a very good job about that because people were like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to have a president like this. Mm. This this is a... Now maybe I should vote for the president. This is the, this is a very different experience for me. Yeah. Um and and we need to ha- put local and state officials there who are clearly drawing attention to their role, what they can do affecting your day-to-day life so you feel like you should vote for
1: that job again. No, totally. I, I, I think it started too in like 2020 with just covid and realized, people realizing like oh shit like my county supervisors are like determining like yep. what, you know, I'm allowed to do in my day-to-day like so it really sometimes, unfortunately, takes really hard times or shitty news or whatever to wake people up and be like, oh, God, I have to pay attention or learn about this. And it's it is hard. And like we always say, like, it's never too late to start learning. And it's really not people's fault. Like it's intentionally made so hard to understand. And there is so much to learn. I mean, we're still learning so much and like being in the political space and like recently had Attorney General Dan Nessel on. And like I learned so much about that role. I like literally had no idea about.
2: Agreed. Okay, we
1: are taking this
2: to a different, different bucket, and it is the voting bucket. There, I feel like, are so many conversations. I, I'm i going to just raise all of our hands on this one, conversations we've had, where someone's like, my vote doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't count. Like, why am I showing up? Blue states, red states, heard it all the same. And the question kind of has been, like, is it the way in which our voting system works? Is it you know some of the larger systems in place like what do you feel like it is and if there is sort of a voting mechanism that you feel like is better what is that what does it look like
3: yeah so i actually got started working on the range choice voting campaign for new york that we just passed and then we had rcb for the city council i'm also a fan of approval voting which is sli- a slightly different deviation from that and there's a woman named katherine gale who i'm a huge fan of who has a whole, she has a book called the politics industry where she talks about her method of voting, which involves ranking candidates and having open primaries. There's a whole industry around how our electoral system really disenfranchises people. Like you have primaries where only registered Democrats can choose the candidate. And then you have all these independents who show up in November and they're like, yeah. how was I like, I, my my opinion was not taken into account. I, I believe very strongly that electoral reforms are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful for people doing that nonpartisan work, which is I'm not advocating for Republican stuff or Democratic stuff, I'm just here to say the way we're voting is wrong. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And I think that's really important work. I think the electoral college is old and antiquated and we need to do away with it. I think all of those things, I caution into getting too far into that rabbit hole sometimes (laughs) because I still think people should vote and I still think if you're slightly values aligned with Democrats, it's, it's good to have a voice in the primary system as long as it exists. And so I struggle with that. Like, I don't want to be part of encouraging a system that I know is not a hundred percent representative and disenfranchises constituents, but then it gets around to primary election time. And like, I want to vote for my, I want to make sure my elected official is the elected official I want to be like, so I'm going to, I'm going to take part in it. And, you know, I think our CV in New York City, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's, there's more to be done to make it better, but I supported having it rate choice voting is in, I believe 18 localities and two States all the way across the United States and in way, way, way more villages and towns. So people are picking it up in, in conservative and liberal places. Um, but just because our voting system isn't perfect and it's a little rigged doesn't mean you
1: shouldn't vote. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Amen. It's, there's, it's, there's just so much fucking work to be done and things to, to fix, but to kind of switch gears once again and to also kind of wrap up, we want to talk about how you are an MPP candidate at Harvard Kennedy School, which is a master's public policy. What are you going to be focusing on here? Can you kind of explain like this route for you and like what it's what it means and what you hope to achieve out of it?
3: Yeah, so I am starting like now-ish, which is really, really exciting. I'm also a fellow with the Center for Public Leadership specifically to focus on issues serving the Black community. So that that's a huge part of why I do this work. I'm related to slaves on Thomas Jefferson's plantation. I like really like slavery and, and understanding our history of slavery is what brings me a lot to this space. So mm-hmm. I, I hope to study issues around, you know, mass incarceration, around Black maternal morbidity rates, especially issues affecting Black women, what we can do in an electoral sphere to help fix those things, but also like what we can't do and, and, and what yeah. we're outside of politics. I, I think I'm a little unique to go to graduate school from the campaign sphere. A lot of campaign people, it's like one of those jobs where like, you don't have to go back to school. Like you can work your way yeah. up to getting your chops on a campaign. And so leaving to go to school, I've, I had a little mixed feelings about, but I really wanted the graduate school time. I want to read books. I want to think deeply about issues. I want to take a break okay. from what what will have been my ninth campaign. You know, I just, awesome. I got to like step back. And I, I'm also interested in policy. Like I've helped get all these people elected and that, and then I'm like, I don't even know how they do what we said we were going to do. Like we go on the campaign trail saying we're going to do all this stuff. And then I have actually no idea how to execute on it or how it happens. Mm, uh, that's a I,
1: whole nother episode.
3: <laughs> yep, yep. And so I'm hoping this gives me some more color there.
1: Absolutely. That's
2: super interesting. Well, first of all, we cannot wait. For you to be like diving in, hear all all the learnings and takeaways, and we'll have to do like a post grad episode as well. And like, wait, yeah, how long it is it? There? It's um, two years. Okay, two years. Okay. Well, okay. For last question in this category, are you also gonna be touching campaigns at all? Like, can you like resist the bug a little bit, or do you think you're still gonna
3: be like eh, <laughs> finger uh, in the pot? You know. I think I. I'm trying to take a break, but I always get like pulled back in. I love campaigns, much like I feel like athletes love sports. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm competitive. I love my candidates when I do find one I like. I really, really like them and I support them and I want them to win. Um, I think the good thing about school is I won't be able to, I literally won't be able to give the time required. We're shackled. Uh, yeah, I literally like, and and it's yeah. like, gonna call me and I'm like, I'm in Massachusetts, bro. Like I can't help with your (laughs) campaign in New York or Colorado or whatever. So I'm literally physically removing myself
1: from
3: some areas, but I think it will always be part of my life. I think there's a real, real chance after school, I go back into it. I think there's a chance summer, I do some more. It depends. You know, I, I hope the democratic party and I hope the nonpartisan electoral space continues to afford opportunities for people like me to remain interested and engaged because we're absolutely. having a little crisis of that too.
2: Totally. Yes, and absolutely. highly
3: understandable. Highly 10 out of
2: 10. Yeah. A 1000%. But nonetheless, thank you so much for coming on the show, running us through literally campaign 101, all the questions
1: that we've had thus far, we will have more. So like you're coming back. Thank you. you but really, nonetheless, I do want to talk about this like campaign promise policy promises to actually getting into the office transition. i would love to have a conversation about that it's so interesting
3: needs me
2: i'm here where um, can people find you if they oh, want to like follow fun. your work and like see like what you're up to and all that stuff
3: yeah i'd say i do most of my work related announcements and things on twitter so if you have a twitter i'd follow me my first name drisana d-r-i-s-a-n-a and then use h-u-g-h-e-s there but also my instagram too which i use to talk about a bunch of things politics and my, me being a yoga teacher and all these other things that I do to cope in this like crazy crazy time but yeah either of those are great I, I always answer my dms I love to talk to people and hear about their ideas and thoughts it takes a village to do all of this work so I really enjoy the little community I've created
1: thank you so much hopefully too for anyone listening who is interested in working in politics or in campaigns is super helpful for people so thank you we appreciate your time Thank you guys for doing what
3: you do. It's important to spread the word about all of these things. So thank you.
1: Okay, kicking us off with top stories of the week. uh, Another mass shooting. Highland Park, uh, six people died and two dozen were injured in a mass shooting in another American city. This time it was in Highland Park, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb. So the person of interest has been arrested and the mayor of Highland Park said the suspect o- obtained his weapon illegally. He carried out his attack in a state that already had some of the nation's toughest gun laws, but it's bordered by states where firearms are much easier to come by. I'm really glad that that point was raised. Yep. Um, so Highland Park Police Chief Lou Jogman, interesting name, said a police officer Jogman. pulled... <laughs> The police officer pulled over Robert E. Crimo III about five miles north of the shooting scene. Authorities detained the suspect Monday evening in a traffic stop that led to a brief chase. Speaking outside the Highland Park fire station late Monday afternoon, Governor J.B. Pritzker decried the shooting, saying he spoke with President Joe Biden about it earlier. They both agree on one thing, Pritzker, Pritzker said. This madness must stop. Pritzker is in the middle of a re-election campaign. His GOP gubernatorial opponent Darren Bailey made a brief reference to the Highland Park massacre in a Facebook video, then declared, quote, let's move on and let's celebrate. Because this was on the 4th of July. Like, I just cannot. You're an embarrassment.
2: Embarrassing is an understatement. That's just, that's that's like criminal. Okay.
1: Yeah. Bailey, a state senator, later apologized. He said, I apologize if any... In any way, we diminish the pain of being felt across our state today. Just these. Apology
2: just doesn't uh, cut it.
1: These conservatives over the past few weeks with their absurd, absurd, like inhumane comments that have been made and then like trying to backtrack. I'm like, honestly, I'm like, I just, I have no words. But over the weekend. There's also obsession with guns. I, I really don't get it.
2: I really don't it's get it just like, we go into the, the abortion issue and I really understand the control like the fucked up element of that. I really understand it. The guns element I, like yes, there's the money element, but there's like a level to it. like where But does it's like it the parallels where... for
1: both story or both issues yeah are like they're connected. The people in power, it's all about control. but what they tell their base for this abortion they tell their base is like, but God, <laughs> that Jesus. And then on the gun side, it's like the people in power are like, oh, well, we just make a fuck ton of money from guns, so we're going to make sure they stay. But they tell their base a different story, which is you have this right to bear arms. You need it to protect yourself against the government. So the government and the people in power are telling you that they need to bear arms against them. Can we think about that, too? They want to talk about conspiracy theories. I'm like, so why are the people that you are supposed to protect yourself from telling you or allowing you to have guns or having such a firm right to have guns? It's just so whack. Tell me how that makes sense. Tell me. But anyways, so over the weekend, nine people were also shot to death in Chicago with another 52 wounded. This was not just like just this mass shooting, and then authorities and at least a dozen other cities reported shootings over the weekend, most of them on on Monday, on the 4th of July. So, just the symbolism is
2: strong. It really is, and (sighs) this side. So, we do want to talk about a little bit of legislation in the area from my home state, New Jersey. Packagers. Anyways, besides having great Italian food and every other food under the sun, New Jersey has a sweeping... It does. I'm telling you, it does. Fucking fantastic. Anyways, a sweeping package of legislation will make it more difficult to obtain a handgun license and buy high-capacity rifles in New Jersey, part of a patchwork effort by by states with strict gun laws to work around a Supreme Court ruling aimed at dismantling them. On Tuesday, Governor Philip D. Murphy... D. Murphy... Anyways, sign the latest. <laughs> sign the latest, and what is expected to be a rush of state-level statutes tended to tighten firearm restrictions after last month's SCOTUS ruling, which overturned a New York state law, which by the way was like over 100 years 100 years 100 years old, restricted how and where residents could carry handguns. The New Jersey bill is part of a collaborative effort between legislatures in New York and New Jersey. Oh, wow, we do more together than just build tunnels. To coordinate gun-related legislation, Taylor skirted the Supreme Court's ruling last week. Governor Kathy Hochul of New York announced the state's own version, which contains similar language and restrictions as New Jersey' bill. New York State legislatures passed, sorry, legislators passed the bill in special session, or as many I saw call it, extraordinary session, on Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, I also saw recently this, aka this morning. Of potential 2024 Dem contenders is Phil Murphy, which I thought was interesting that he was like named amongst them. That often, especially at this point, doesn't necessarily even mean anything. And mm-hmm. I honestly don't really see it. Like I think he's personally great. Like I'm, I'm a fan, but I don't feel like he has the national profile for it. Like someone like a Newsom that's already. Out I'm the gate. so
1: interested to see what's gonna happen in 2024. Like I don't want to even go there yet, but I'm just like so interested. I'm like. Is Biden even yeah. going to run? And if he is running, are there still going to be, like, a heavy, like, Democratic primary? Like, are the debate stages going to be full? Like, I'm just so curious.
2: Totally. I mean, I personally feel like there's no way that he's not going to get primary the fuck out of. I, re- I But it's just I the, really ne- the just... Democratic
1: Party never does. I mean, the Republicans don't either. Like, if they have a candidate, an incumbent already in there, like, they're not going to run people against them. Because that's historically the, you know the incumbent wins he's just so freaking old i know and but that's why it's like i think like, it would take him <sighs> to like back out yeah maybe i don't know but then it's also like trump could run like it's gonna be the most interesting year
2: if it's like literally just a remash i'm gonna be like livid but i also don't like a remash version where it's desantis and trump
1: I'm i sorry, would love to see gavin Newsom desantis and, trump. and biden because oh, i know wow. like gavin like also? i have it my problems with him but like he also, like, he's great at clapbacks. He's a great public speaker. Like, he's great at, like, he would own the fuck out of Trump, I feel like, in a debate.
2: A thousand percent. He he brings it. hmm He absolutely brings it. And I... And he's I'm here really for hot. He is. And so is Joe Cunningham of South Carolina, who is running oh for governor. Sorry, I don't want to ticket. say too
1: much, because I would love to have him on the show, and I don't want that, like, awkwardness of, like, me talking about how hot he is all the time, and then, like, potentially That's having fair. him on the show or, like, talking to him one day and being, like... Oh, like, you know how hot I think you are. But look, I, get same with, I get it. Same with same with John Ossoff because like I'm manifesting that that will happen one day.
2: However, more than anything, if you are a South Carolina listener, please go check out his candidacy, mm-hmm. ASAP Rocky. Like, I don't know why you're still listening to us ramble. Like, please go look look at his campaign ad. No, he's gonna be it's your fire and for it. Absolutely. His ad whoever is behind his his ads and his Campaign. Get us up. We wanna we wanna chat. Yeah, we, we wanna, wanna chat. chat.
1: Big things. We wanna chat. Um okay, well, next story. Some reproductive rights updates across the board. But kicking us off is a pretty dark and terrible story that really just shows how this SCOTUS decision is manifesting and will continue to manifest for Girls and women all over the country. So a 10-year-old girl was denied an abortion in Ohio after the Supreme Court ruled last week that it was overturning Roe v. Wade, demonstrating the tangible impacts that the high court's decision is having on patients seeking access to the medical procedure. A child abuse doctor in Ohio contacted Dr. Caitlin Bernard, a OBGYN in Indiana, after receiving a 10-year-old patient who was six weeks and three days pregnant. That patient is now heading west to Indiana, given that an abortion ban in Ohio, which prohibits the medical procedure when fetal cardiac activity begins around six weeks, had become effective quickly after the high court issued its decision. But Indiana could soon find itself passing its own abortion law later this month, given that a special session has been scheduled for later in July, and the legislature is expected to touch on a ban on the medical procedure. Currently, abortion in Indiana is legal for up to about 20 weeks with some provisions for medical emergencies. Before an abortion, patients must undergo an 18-hour waiting period, and medical providers must tell patients about the risk involved in abortion and must say the fetus can feel pain around 20 weeks, which is (laughs) not true. And yeah, I also want to note that this 10-year-old girl who was raped got pregnant, six weeks and three days pregnant, and the abortion ban is six weeks so she was three days away from being able to receive that care
2: besides that six weeks to know if you're pregnant or not is ridiculous in general Mm -hmm. because so many people like literally don't know like never had a regular period in my life like why would i i would have no idea Mm -hmm. but a 10 year old again does not matter the age like this is a problem but mm-hmm. particularly someone that's 10 that may have just gotten their period for the first, first time, time a few times like that's not regular it's not at its like oh my god my constant, period like, lasted a let month alone...
1: my first one. Oh my god no like my period well i was just like spotting for like an entire month i was like what is going on <laughs>
2: <laughs> which bananas yeah. and sucks but also like goes to show like that shit happens like yeah this ta- i don't even know if i knew what a period was at age 10 i'm mean, gonna be perfectly honest
1: what grade were we in no, itch, that's early. Seven. That's so fucking early, that's too. That's early. Like, that's so really early. sad.
2: But and also, it's like girls are getting their periods younger and younger these days. So, like, the fact that, like, that's also integrated into this as I didn't well. know
1: that. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. There's, like, a lot of like... theories out there of, like, is it, like, what we're eating? Is it hormone? Like, all of that stuff. But, yeah, girls are getting it yeah, earlier Yeah, so and
1: early. 10 is fifth grade. So, you're yeah. not even okay. in Wait. middle school yet. Wait.
2: 13 is by my year that was seventh grade it's That's like i always do it. yeah <clears throat> well, well i was like 14. It might be fourth grade even
1: i was 14 my freshman year so or i turned 14 the end of my freshman year so like 13 12 11 i don't know i think it's like it depends on the person but
2: yeah and probably state too like when you like yeah get cut yeah whatever it's the cutoff is
1: so crazy and so sad it's so
2: insane um so insane and just so it's like think about like a 10 year old you know like think about like how young that person is no i
1: literally can't and, and i just watched the them- netflix series about uh what is it slds or whatever the like mormon fundamentalists in mm-hmm. utah mm-hmm. there's a whole like i want to watch the series on that on netflix right now and how like the child brides and all that shit and like they show some pictures of just like portraits of like the young like 13 year old girls that are pregnant and like just seeing that visual of, like such a young girl with like a pregnant belly is the most disturbing that one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen like it's just so crazy to me but to shed I guess some like action item or just hope or if there is any for this topic but we had an IG live today with Arizona for reproductive freedom and they're in the midst of Getting a petition a petition signed to put reproductive freedom, really like women's health and just sexual health across the board on the ballot. So it's obviously women's right to choose, but it's a lot of other women's health initiatives. There's a TikTok on our page right now that kind of explains what states have this option of being able to collect signatures to put a piece of legislation on the ballot for voters to decide. It depends per state. I think there's 26 where it's like a direct democracy, like we want this on the ballot get the petitions and it's on the ballot there's also some where like you can get the petitions but then you know it has to be approved by the state legislator to then be on the ballot so it just depends but if you go check out our tiktok to learn more about that but there i think uh, there's a few states especially in like the midwest looking at like this is ohio and indiana where this is an option where you like you can get enough signatures and put a woman's right to choose on the ballot for voters to decide this November. Some of those deadlines are approaching and maybe have passed as far as when you can do that for this year. But it is an option for 2024. Maybe there's special elections or something 2023. I doubt it. But just there is this option for some of these states that have really read GOP state legislators that there might be a pathway for your state to codify a woman's right to choose through direct democracy but again it depends on what your state constitution allows you to do so go check that out but and listen to our ig live she also explains it and if your state is one of those um organization arizona free productive freedom is also happy to answer questions and help other states get something like that started if it's an option for them so
2: florida okay flow riders New 15-week abortion ban was blocked and then quickly reinstated Tuesday after an appeal from the state attorney general in a lawsuit
1: challenging the restriction. Attorney generals Judge- matter. Attorneys general, sorry. They, fuck. Yes, they, they fuck do. Fuck the grammar, please. Attorneys uh, general uh, matter. State- They're on your ballot this, this year. Attorneys general. A lot
2: of states. Uh- Judge John C. Cooper issued the order temporarily halting the law after reproductive health providers argued the state constitution guarantees the right to the procedure. The state appealed his order automatically putting the law back into effect. Interesting. Okay, Mississippi. Update here. A judge held a hearing Tuesday but didn't say how she would decide a lawsuit filed by Mississippi's only abortion clinic. I'm just trying to remain open by blocking law that would ban most abortions in the state. The law, which state lawmakers passed before SCOTUS overturned the 1973 ruling that allowed abortions nationwide, is set to take effect Thursday, the Jackson Women's Health Organization sought a temporary restraining order, interesting how that's used, that would allow it to remain open, at least while the lawsuit remains in court. The clinic's lawsuit cites a 1998 Mississippi Supreme Court ruling that said the state constitution invokes a right to privacy and includes an implied right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. That state decision was rooted in the SCOTUS in 1973 and 1992, decisions that established or protected abortion rights but were overturned on June 24th. An arguments filed, Sunday the state attorney, whew, attorneys general's office said, Oh, God, that's mouthful, said the Mississippi Constitution does not recognize the right to abortion and the state has a long history of restricting the procedure. The lawsuit was filed three days after the Supreme Court overturned Rao in the case that originated in Mississippi. The clinic has continued to see patients, but owner Diane Durzis said it would close if the near
1: ban on abortion takes effect. So mm-hmm. it's interesting just to see all the aftermath play out. This is all part of it, but I'm sure we'll see, you know, more stuff and stories like this moving forward. But again, if you guys have questions or need action items, head to our Instagram, the girl on the gov at girl on the gov Instagram has action items galore, especially regarding reproductive freedom and abortion rights. So if you want to get involved, head there and follow us there. And we're always pushing that stuff out. So there's that on that. But that's that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed. Join our Brand Ambassador Program. You can go to growonthegov.com and learn all about it and sign up. There's no requirements. And there's resume boosters, community of like-minded political ladies looking to take action and have impact, and networking opportunities in the political space and more. So come join, especially in such a crucial election year with really dark shit happening on a daily basis in the news. Our Brand Ambassador Program is a great way to take action and find some hope and less helplessness. During this scary time. So go check it out. And that's about it. Subscribe, rate, review, follow us, or subscribe on YouTube.
2: And last thing, I am taking guesses for how many mosquito bites I currently have. And if you get it right, you get a Girl in the Gov sticker sheet.
1: I was going to say stickers are on their way. Although I only have one left. (laughs) One left.
2: We reordered. We did reorder. But they're not going to be in our hands till like mid July so just like fyi we'll obviously put a story up for like more addresses etc then but yeah sorry y'all love the stickers so they're all going out besides i literally have one sheet left so whoever like i said guesses how many mosquito bites i have right now
1: you will be the lucky winner yes i love it we had we got all your addresses not in a creepy way but to send stickers (laughs) and we have just like an amazing sheet too like me and sam we're just like so filled with joy that like the states like we have you guys all over the place and it's just really cool to see and you guys are spreading that girl in the gov brand awareness all over the country so thanks and thanks for listening but we'll be talking to you all next wednesday